0: This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 69 of the Rebel Author Podcast. I'm joined by Sarah Rosette. Sarah is an absolute sweetie. She was so lovely to talk to, and one of these, like, genuinely warm, just, like, you know when you meet somebody and you're like, I want to be friends with you because you're so lovely. Um, that is how I felt after I had spoken to Sarah. She is, um, I, I, you're going to love this episode. And, you know, she gives lots of really good tips about how to write a series. We look at mistakes people make with series. We look at um, what, people like me. <laughs> who change their mind partway through writing a series and decide to cut it short, or perhaps the other way around if you suddenly decide you want to extend your series, which she had to do. Um, Yeah, so, and also like creating a second series in your world. So this episode is packed full of great tips if you are a series writer, and well, if you're not, then hopefully you will still get something uh, from it or perhaps some ideas for a different set of books in the future. First to last week's question. which was who is your favorite character of all time now I didn't answer this one (laughs) because it's such a brutally awfully horribly hard question to answer it's like asking which your favorite child is and you know I'm sure nobody ever has a favorite child but you know still it is really hard to, to to answer so Scott says um no Sasha you can't make me choose one I know I know I apologize I'm a devious rebel uh, a villain sorry um <clears throat> so Scott says I'm rebelling and picking three okay four uh so number one is Dumbledore he has all my favorite quotes from the Harry Potter novels uh the second one was Locke Lamora and Jean Tannen uh from the Gentleman Bastards series uh did I mention I don't want to choose one <laughs> <laughs> and then so actually I've been recommended Lock Lamora a few times and I have actually uh, got the first book in that series now it is on my ever-growing TBR pile uh, so I will get to that and then um, he mentions who I think is probably my current favourite character but Villanelle from the Killing Eve series Um, and then he says a quote never tell a psychopath they are a psychopath it upsets them Uh, which I remember the moment she said that oh my god I think I'm gonna have to go back and do a rewatch just because like I just fucking love Villanelle so much I love her so much I have named things in my house after her so I have uh, my (laughs) noise cancelling headphones I named them Villanelle like on the on the app thingy so like whenever it pops up to like pair it's like Villanelle wants to pair and I'm like yay you do. Uh, Anyway, why am I even telling you this random nonsense? I'm going to move on. Uh, Bobby Ann Atwood says, I'll go with my favourite character to quote when using memes, uh, Cusco from The Emperor's New Groove. Kerry Hardisky says, "Ooh, that's a hard one. I'm going with my first fictional crush for this one. Tommy Oliver in the Mighty Power Range, a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series. Yes, it is the cheesy '90s show that she's talking about. Uh, I, I hang on a second. I think I've missed a thing. Oh." <clears throat> Uh, He was so cool. He started off as the evil green ranger and has one of the best villain laughs. Uh, Then he gets redeemed and goes on to be the leader of the group. Also, really, really good looking. (laughs) Uh, Why do they make villains so good looking? I literally don't. This is like, that's like a trope. That is a thing. Um, what else? Uh, he was played by Jason David Frank, who is probably one of the coolest actors I've had the pleasure to meet. He's always so great with his fans. I've met him three times, I think. Sophie KB says The Fool from Robin Hobb's books. Love, love, love. Jen Condor says probably Mary Cat Blackwood from Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle. She's just so sullen and dastardly. Uh, Catherine O'Sullivan O'Sull- Brown says Polgara and Belgarath, uh, from David Eddington Belgorath Gariad series. I hope I pronounced that right. Clearly, I just probably messed that up. Uh, Jasmine Plate says, my favourite character ever would have to be the first rebel I ever met in a book. Cheeky, clever, resourceful Matilda Wormwood. Oh, I loved Matilda. I wanted to be Matilda. I was so upset. I couldn't pull a book off the shelf with my magic fingers. I adored her as a kid. Uh, Victoria L.K. Williams said, has to be Agatha Christie's Miss Jane Marple, such a sweet old lady, wise and sharp and very aware of the evil around us. So that was a cracking load of um, characters there, so thank you very much. This week's question is sort of along the same kind of lines, uh, but slightly different. So given that we're talking about series this week, what series. Okay, so let's assume money is no. Uh, what's the word? Object? Wait, is that the right phrase? I have not had enough coffee this morning. Even though I sound like I've had tons of coffee because I'm really hyper. I don't know what's going on. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> oh yeah. What series... Okay, money is no problem for you. So what series would you buy for someone else as a gift? If you could, you know, had whatever amount of money you needed and you could buy a 20 box set 50 box set one box no wait then it's not a series uh like a three trilogy whatever um so anything from duology upwards what series would you buy for someone else as a gift Okay, so normally we have a book recommendation, but um, I'm not going to give you a book recommendation this week. I'm going to give you a TV show recommendation. So, everybody has been talking about Bridgerton, and um, I loved Bridgerton. Uh, I watched it uh, in. So, basically, I'd finished a bunch of work, and uh, so I, this is when I tend to do my TV watching. I tend to finish projects and then I will go and binge something. And um, if we'd had time and could have hacked staying up later, I think my wife and I probably would have just watched it in one go. But uh, we have a child that likes to wake up at 5 fucking a.m. So we can't do that anymore. Uh, So yes, we watched it over two days. And oh my goodness me. So the first, I would say like half an hour of the first episode, I was like, what is this fucking trash that we are watching? Like, what is this bullshit? And then we got towards the end of the first episode. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, where's the remote? Like, we we need to watch the wait another four seconds for it to turn over. So anyway, I got completely hooked on it. And the way that I would describe it is like, um, so I don't know if you've seen Gossip Girl, uh, but I fucking loved Gossip Girl because it was a total guilty pleasure uh, TV show, which is like this kid um, what uh, basically creates like this app where they put all of the gossip on and it's... Um, Upper East Side, Manhattan, school kids, total teenage, trashy, high school, romance, drama, brilliant. So it's a a hybrid between Gossip Girl and Downton Abbey, which seems like this impossible combination, but it worked so fucking well. And um, I know, uh, uh, yeah, and it is also based off of a book series. So uh, if you want to read the books first, before you watch the show, uh, probably do that. But yes, fan fucking tastic. And also, I'm uh, not gonna lie, but um, the love interest butt cheeks. There's some good butt cheeks, so you should probably watch it just for the butt cheeks. <laughs> oh, moving swiftly onwards. God, what? Seriously, I promise. Like, I have not had caffeine the caffeine has not kicked in I do not know what's wrong with me this morning I am just high on life uh oh my god okay I really am gonna move on okay so um I was on Sarah's uh podcast a little while ago uh I think it was towards the end of November and her podcast uh is called Wish I'd Known Then episode uh uh, episode (laughs) Wish I'd been known then podcast. And the episode uh, with me was called Financial Freedom and the Power of Authenticity. And I will put a link in the show notes to that episode. I think I did mention it back then. But anyway, if you didn't listen to it, I'm sharing it again because I'm sherry like that today. (laughs) Oh my god, what am I on? Uh, I can tell you it's not sleep. (laughs) Clearly hyper. Anyway, how was my week? Well, so we have uh, moved on. So my wife, I had some meetings last week and so my wife had to take Atlas for a little while and essentially what happened was she had a big safeguarding problem because she works for a school, a college and uh, Atlas walked in on multiple occasions into a very uh, heavy safeguarding meeting and um, her her sort of HR department very prompt rapidly asked her to get him back into school so we have now put Atlas back into school we've managed to get a place because um of, basically it was a safeguarding issue that he was going into a safeguarding meeting uh, that he shouldn't and um so we've got what's called like a, a key she's got like a key worker letter thingy whatever it is and so we've managed to get him back into school so life has been considerably easier this week um And uh, yeah, he is doing really well. We had some issues prior to Christmas uh, with our son and uh, all those seem to have more or less been resolved now. And he seems to be about 10,000% happier. Like He is one of the biggest extroverts I have ever known and um, it's exhausting. Uh, But that aside, he really struggles without other people around. He gets very... um, Like, two people, me and uh, my wife, are not enough for him. Uh, He needs lots of people time. And um, so he gets quite low, bless his heart, uh, when we are locked down and there are no other children to play with. And so we've seen his, like, uh, mood, his uh, morale just skyrocket this week. And it's just reminded me, like, how fucking shit the situation is for so many people and how shit it is for him when he's at home um, and you know of course we play with him lots and you know we do our best but I was in a situation where I didn't have any contact uh, numbers or anything with any of the other parents and so I couldn't even phone his school friends for him to talk to and um, so I am trying to change that now uh, and I have kicked up quite a fuss at the school and, and um, different things so anyway he is so much happier to be back in school and um, it is meaning that I can do more work. So, um, yeah, I mean, the only thing is the school has been quite clear that um, they are basically at capacity now and if there are other children with two key worker parents, obviously I'm not a key worker, then um, the children who only have one key, key worker parent like us... Uh, will be asked to have their children back home again. So there is no guarantee that uh, he will stay in school. And because of that, I, uh, if I'm honest, I kind of feel like I'm on edge waiting for uh, that to be over and for him to come home. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping he can stay in school. If for no other reason, then he is happier. Um, but <sighs> we'll see. And for those parents who are still at um, home with their kids I am in solidarity with you and I have started um, a Facebook group for um, parents not just mums I think I said just mums last time but no of course there are single dads and two dads and whatevers and lots of different types of families so if anyone's a parent and a writer and would like to be part of that Facebook group um, I will also drop that into the show notes. Um, So in terms of Anything else this week? Um, I found it really hard, actually, to get my head back in the game um, because I'd been expecting to do the homeschooling for so much longer. I'd sort of given up hope of being able to achieve anything. Um... So this week, my weirdly, my output is considerably lower than last week when I had my son at home and was trying to homeschool as well as work. I don't quite know how that works. But um, yes, I am starting to ramp up pace uh, now. And uh, next week, I'm going to be working on the audiobook. And I am about two thirds of the way through side characters. So I am now aiming for about the end of well, probably April. If I can get it into March, I will, but otherwise it will be April uh, for a release for that. And, oh yes, I've had my uh, Trey, which is the third book in my young adult series, back, and I've got about 15k I need to add to that. Um, I haven't touched the fourth book yet, um, but that's only a novella, so that shouldn't be too hard to... um, get that edited and stuff and then last but by no means least I have also been working on The Scent of Death this week um that's like a whole other can of worms which maybe I'll talk about next time um but I had a very interesting interview with uh, Jordan Rosenfeld who wrote uh, Make a Scene and uh, some other books and um, you'll hear a bit more about my, my woes with that book in uh, that that episode, which is coming up. Yeah, so it's been quite a deep thinking uh, week for me. I've also been wondering whether or not, because uh, in the background, I have been, I have started creating a how to self publish course, and I don't know whether that's the right thing for me to do. Um, obviously, most of my brand is craft and. Uh, all my books are craft and my first course is craft and I don't know whether to just stick with craft or whether to segue into I mean I think eventually I will want to do that but I don't know whether you know because I've done so much work building up the craft stuff whether I should just stick with that for now so this is where I am this is what I'm thinking about and um it may or may not change my plans for the rest of the year as well because uh, obviously I had intended to do some like beginner how to self-publish stuff um, but I you can see like I clearly have not, <laughs> by the pauses, I clearly have not uh, finished thinking this through and pondering on this but yeah basically I just wanted to share where, where I was at and what my brain was thinking about. Okay, Rebel of the Week. This week is Robert Byers. Robert says, My mother used to think I only wrote cute stuff. I informed her that I was going to be writing smut for a living, and she just looked at me like she didn't understand. Meanwhile, I write erotica short stories for an underground bad parents group. I think that is so fucking cool. (laughs) <laughs> oh Robin, you're an absolute legend uh what a hero that is literally like and the fact that you told your mother you absolute hero this has made my week um oh. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, then please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. Two new patrons this week. Welcome and a huge thank you to Nicole Kaya and Helen O'Neill. Thank you both for joining me. It really does mean an awful lot to me. And um, uh, Nicole definitely joined the uh, Poison and Prose Patreon, only writing sprints session which we uh, did last night and I'm going to be doing a monthly Poison and Prose uh, just for patrons uh, so if you'd like to join our monthly Poison and Prose sessions uh, or get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Back and you can um do that from as little as two dollars a month. <laughs> Come on, Sasha. What a words. Oh, let's just get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Sarah Rosette. Sarah is a USA Today and Audible best-selling author. She writes light-hearted mysteries for readers who enjoy atmospheric settings, fun characters, and puzzling whodunits. Publishers Weekly called Sarah's books Satisfying, Well-Executed, and Sparkling. Oh, I love sparkles. That's like my fate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Uh, Sarah loves to get new stamps in her passport and considers dark chocolate a daily requirement. Dark chocolate, really? Yes, love it. Love oh, it. I would, I would love to be able to eat dark chocolate, but um, I think I'd be a lot healthier if I ate dark chocolate rather than Well, I than do say milk. it's
1: healthy, thank goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am, I'm terrible. I love chocolate. It's my absolute yeah. Achilles heel. Um, okay, so I'm super excited because I read your book, and uh, yeah, so I'm really glad that you're uh, on today. We're going to talk about writing a series, um, but first, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and I guess like how you got to where you are now? Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, um, I've been writing for a long time. Um, I always loved mysteries, always loved to read books and like going to the library when I was a kid, that was like my favorite thing. So being an author was a lifelong dream. And um, I spent a lot of time, I went to school, learned, you know, did a language, language and literature degree. I had jobs where I worked with writing and did writing in my job, but I was never writing fiction and that was my dream. So um, I got married and we were moving around the country and my husband said I think it's time for one of us to go back and get a master's degree. And we had little kids and I was like, "No, I don't want to go get a master's degree. That was like the last thing I wanted to do." And so I thought if I'm going to take time out from you know, like just doing all this life, I want to write a book and he said, "Okay, go for it." So I did and like 5 or 6 years later, I finally had finished a book got an agent, and sold it, and so that was the first book in a traditional series, so that kind of got me going on writing, and then um, I just, I I found out about indie books and indie publishing in about 2010, 2011. I started hearing about people making good money, and as a mid-list traditional author, you don't make good money, and I was like, hmm, I think I need to learn more about this, so checked that out, and I just loved it. I, I kind of, was hybrid for a while i did a little of both and then i just loved having the control and the freedom and so now i'm just all in indie that's amazing so did you so did you get your rights back or like how did no okay no i didn't no i the series i wrote for kensington was 10 books long and once you kind of have a series that that's, that is that long they're invested and I just knew I wouldn't be able to get those rights back because of the revision clauses. And mm-hmm. so I thought if I'm going to do this, I just need more intellectual property. So I just started a new series and went for it and I put everything in there that I wanted to, you know, I had, cause I was writing cozies, which are very specific and there's very kind of strict rules about them. And so the series I wrote is actually more like a, it's a, kind of a tribute to classic romantic suspense I read like Mary Stewart and Elizabeth Peters those books and there's not really a market for that right now but that's what I loved and I wrote it and it did fine and so I thought hmm, if I write a cozy as an indie I'll probably do better so I got more narrow and mm. then did really well with that so that's what I've been doing since and then now I write historicals
0: yeah. And um, I just saw uh, the Kalytics report that came out that said Cozy's smashing everything at the moment. So yeah, what a I shock know. to be in. <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah.
0: It's people. And I think
1: part of it's just the world right now. People like the Cozy's are give you a place to go to, to mm. be around familiar people like characters and go to this world that you feel comfortable in. So I think that's why they're doing well.
0: Amazing. So I asked you to come on because you wrote a fantastic book all about how to write series. So can you, uh, well, uh, first of all, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about it? Um, But also, like, what are the different types of series? And I guess like the problems and benefits of each type of series? Okay. So I wrote this book because
1: I I couldn't find anything when I started writing about how to write a series. I found a couple of blog posts, but they were not very in depth. And so as I've kind of worked my way through my writing career, I've learned certain things and I'm hoping that the things I've learned and the mistakes I've made, people can take and not make them or, you know, it gives them ideas to do their own thing. So um, what I figured out was that there's a lot of the writing advice focuses on the hero's journey. And if you're writing a cozy, that doesn't really apply because your characters don't go through this big transformational change. And I just felt like, oh, what am I? I don't understand this. I couldn't make it work. So after I'd been writing a while, I finally figured out that cozies in certain types of books, certain type of genres, have a tendency not to have a hero's journey. They have a different type of character, a different type of series. And once I figured that out, it was like a light bulb went on. I was like, oh, I get it. And I didn't see anything else out there about that. So I thought, well, I'll write this down. I heard a podcast recently and it was about how to write a series. And it was really short. The episode, the interview portion with the about the series was only about 15 minutes. And after it was over, I was like, there's so much more we could talk about. You know, there's just like, so much so that was what started me on the i must write this down and and then you know as you write non-fiction it helps you organize your ideas you know and get it straight in your own head so that was one, another reason i did the series book so
0: yeah I, I i could not agree more with you and that's what that is what generally drives the nonfiction that I write like what do I want to learn out? because a lot of my like when I was heavily blogging I was just sharing everything that I'd learned because I needed a place to like organize mm-hmm. my brain and um, mm-hmm. so yeah I completely agree okay so so what because there are different types of series right, right? so so yeah. what are the different types of series and the the benefits of those types and and also the problems that come with those types of series Okay. So this
1: is just how I organized it in my brain. So if this doesn't work for people. That's totally fine. Just throw it out. It worked um, for me. So <laughs> Okay, good. That's good news. <laughs> so I feel like there's the multi-protagonist series and that is more common, like in romance, you've got, it's ba- basically linked standalones. So you've got um, books that they're very loosely connected. So you may have a connection through like a location, everything takes place in one little town, through a family, there's like five brothers and you see all their you know, relationships. Or it could be like a theme. Um, uh, Jamie Albright, she writes the Brides on the Run series. So that's all, but then they, all those characters know each other. So that's one type of series. And that's really good for a long series. And, cause it's endless. I mean, you can go on as long as you want with, as long as you can keep coming up with ways to link the books together, you know, you can just keep writing it. Um, I think probably the disadvantage to that is it may be harder to get read through, because if you're very interested in one group of people, and then you start kind of a new branch of the family or whatever, and people aren't as interested in that, they may drop off. But it's still got a huge potential. And then, um, and then I feel like uh, there's, so you've got the multi-protagonist type series. And then you have the single protagonist and that's where one character is the focus. And then I feel like that's broken down into two different categories. You've got the flat arc character, which is what I was writing that I didn't realize I was writing. This character that doesn't really change that much over the course of the series. And then you also have the other type of single protagonist character is a robust arc character where they do go through the hero's journey. And that is um, like the flat arc protagonist would be like perot or jack reacher or even um
0: jim butcher maybe
1: yeah uh, yeah like even mary poppins you know they come in and they don't change as much but because they're there the world changes around them or they change the world like they find the murderer they solve the problem and then they go on and the robust art character would be someone like harry potter he has a definite journey and at the end of the series he's completely different and you know that so those have different like the episodic the flat arc character it can be more episodic and it can also have a potential to be a long series. Um, one of the drawbacks to that is you can get bored with it because if your character isn't changing that much you may get bored with it or your me- readers may get bored with it and then um, the robust character that has i think that one the people like readers can really connect to they love the hero's journey you know they love that transformation so you can really pull people in and they really get attached but then it does have a definite end point so that's like the drawback so that's like a big overview
0: yeah and i I, and of course some of like Some types of those series are better suited to certain genres than than Mm -hmm. other types, and so for Mm -hmm. listeners, it's really important that you check out like your genre and go and research Mm -hmm. and study because readers will have expectations. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like just the most obvious example I can think of is crime that they are the episodic, like flat arc. So yeah, make sure you do um, go and do your research. So (laughs) I really liked one of your suggestions in the book, which was to use the hero's journey to create the series itself. Can you tell listeners what that means and how they can do it too? Okay. Well, so
1: this for me is, I mean, it's not what I normally do because I normally write mystery. But if you look around at, especially like movie uh, series, it's done all the time. So like like you would take your first part of your hero's journey, like say the call to adventure, and that would be your first book. But you're you have a complete story within that first book, you have all the elements, but when you get to the end of that, your character has decided to go on this adventure, this journey. And I was, I've just
0: watched um, the new Enola Holmes movie. I don't know if you've seen that. It's its on my wish list, but I've, I've got a couple of projects I'm trying to finish this week. So I'm like, <laughs> that's going to be my reward. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's the, Kind of uses that same structure, and of course, because it was coming out, and I'm a completist, I had to read the book first, (laughs) and then I ended up reading the whole series before it came out. But um, the books do the same thing: like she, her mother leaves, and she realizes that she's going to be packed off to boarding school. So she takes control. She decides to go to London to look for her mom, and in the on the way, she solves this missing person's case. And at the end of the book, you have the completed story of the missing person. And she's received a couple of answers about her mom. She's figured out a few things, but there's still much more to tell. But she's set up, she's in London, and she has you know, had some skirmishes with her brothers. And so the story can continue. So it's like you get a little brief kind of taste of, the the big overarching story, but you get a complete story in that. So, and then you would just break it up however you want it to. So like your next book could be, you know, meeting the mentor. And then your next book could be all about tests and forming alliances and stuff like that. And then you just keep going and you could make it, you could even make it like a three book series and do like, um, like the person leaves their, the ordinary world, goes on the adventure. Book two is like the initiation and book three is the return to the original world but the return changed so you
0: could make it as complex or as simple as you wanted so i love that though because i've never come across like that as a concept and um, like i kind of want to do it just for the shits and giggles like just, <laughs> just to see it. if i can yeah like i think it's a brilliant idea oh, um, yeah i literally like highlighted everything on those pages um, oh, okay good. what what mistakes do you see writers making with series Well, I can
1: tell you some of the mistakes I've made. I've made plenty. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So uh, one mistake I made was I just did not have a plan at all. So when I got when I sold that first series, first book, you know, it's a cozy, and so cozies are usually published in a series. And my agent called me, and she was like, "I think they want book. They want this book, but I think we can turn it into a three book deal." And I was like, "Great, awesome!" And then I was like, "Oh no." I kind of had some ideas, but I really didn't know where I was going with it. So that was part of my, one of my problems with one of my mistakes was that I just didn't have a plan and I didn't think about like how my character would change. I didn't think about like I had little kids in the story and I didn't think about whether they would grow up or stay little and uh, she was a mom sleuth. And so she had to take care of the kids and get them put away Safely being watched while she went sleuth, and I did not think about that. Like, what a problem that would be, and that was like one of the most annoying things about that series was that because you, she'd be a terrible mom if she took her kids along, you know, to go pursue some murder or some clue. So, you know,
0: well, also so you can't
1: leave them in a the house. <laughs> no, no, and it's just it's just complicated things, but um yeah. So I would have done things a little differently if if I had thought it through. So like I I think having a plan is a good thing. Um, I didn't understand my type of series. So if I understood what I was writing, it would have helped me because I could have figured out, okay, um, I know that having the kids in the story is going to be a challenge. So maybe I need to have a character she can depend on that she can call to come watch the kids. You know, I mean, you can fix things like that, but you just have to figure them out. And then maybe you figure them out halfway through the series and that character comes in. So that's one way to handle it. Um, Another thing is... um, you know, getting bored, like if you've created a, a too limited of a story and you decide you want to go on, that happened to me with another series. After I had this, you know, long 10 book series, I was like, I think a three book series would be great. And so that's what I planned. And I got to the end and it had a very definite arc. And I got to the end and we had answered all the questions. And this was my first indie series and the readers loved it. And they were like, oh, can we have one other book? And I was like, well, okay, I'll write one more and I'll give you kind of the view of them, the two characters are together. You know, there's been the will they, won't they question. They get together in book three and I was like, okay, I'll give you kind of the honeymoon book where they get involved in a mystery on this honeymoon in Italy because if you're going to go on a honeymoon, you might as well go to Italy, right? So I get, I write that book and then I realized I can extend the series. So I had to figure out how to create a new arc and I didn't know how to do that. So that can be done. You can extend things. And um, let's see what other mistakes. Um, Sometimes I've had people like opening threads. People have asked, you know, how do I handle like all these open threads? Because if you open too many threads and then you decide, or the series doesn't do well and you decide it's not worth your time and effort to write, you know, the seven to 10 books and you only want to wrap it up in three, then that can be hard to pull all that back in, so maybe like dole out those serious threads a little bit more carefully <laughs>
0: over time. So yeah, yeah that's I, that, that's definitely one of the mistakes I made, <laughs> opening too <laughs> many threads. And like, there's definitely one character in particular that's. Just- <laughs> It's a bit off the face of the planet because I just can't pull them back in yet. Yeah, I, I will do it in the final book, but like, I know I made a mistake and I'm hoping no one else notices. But uh, yeah, and the other mistake I made was wanting to put everything into like the first, like this first world that I created. And yeah. it's just so complicated and like, oh, next time, uh, like, you know, I will never, ever, ever make a world so complicated again. Like, um who who is it that it's like the milieu or something? I think they call it in mm-hmm. the um science fiction and fantasy something book. I can't remember exactly who the Orson Scott Card, I think, wrote it, okay. and they talk yeah. about like making your series about like one particular thing, mm-hmm. and it's an milieu is like an acronym, and it's either it's about a character or it's about mm-hmm. the world, or anyway, mm-hmm. and it just it prevents you, I think, from putting elements of absolutely everything into your story, which is what right. I did and wrote myself into yeah. a total corner. Yeah. Um, I did that too.
1: My <laughs> first, my first indie book is like the longest book I've ever written because I had to kind of unwind all that stuff. It took me a while.
0: Yeah. Suffice to say, I'm wrapping up the series in the fourth book, which is the next book, because I just, I, I need to move on, you know, when you <laughs> have to like move on. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. How can writers use their series ending to sell their next works? Because that's something else you put in there, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, this is something I've just learned recently. Um, It works really well with episodic type books like I write, but I think anybody could do it. So what I've learned is that um, if I put just a little hook at the end of, say, book one, if it just gives the readers just a little information about book two, they'll be interested in book two and um so an example is i just wrote um so i book five just came out in my historical series and the main character is moving into a new flat in london and she gets a letter from somebody who lives there. She's, and at the very end of book five, the letter says, oh, I would love for you to come over to tea. I'd love to meet you. Um, We can discuss all the gossip, you know, in South Regent mansions, and we can uh, try and figure out if somebody really does live in 228B. We've never seen anybody who lives there. And so she mentions all these little things, just little things about the people that live there. And then you go, oh, so the next mystery is going to take place in this apartment. And it's going to revolve around this, these flats. So just a little taste of what's coming will make people go, oh, I'm interested in that. And then you can also do like a, uh, a romantic subplot that goes throughout the series. You know, all kinds of like threads that if you can pull them from more than one book, you know, that's, I think, I think the romantic subplot is one that's just always, always a winner, you know. So those are some of the ones I've used.
0: So do you have a pre-order
1: up for the next book? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've been doing long pre-orders and I love long pre-orders. They're, yeah, they're great. I would shit my
0: pants, I think.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm doing, I don't put the pre-order up until I have a draft. So like when I, so book um, five would be on pre-order when I've finished like the whole draft. So I'm doing like long, long pre-orders. So So like right now I've done a little bit about what will be in book six, but I'm not planning on bringing out for a long time. So I have time, but I'm a big chicken. I don't like to do pre-orders unless I at least have a draft. It scares me. So you've just published book
0: five. Mm -hmm. Is that right? But is there a pre-order up for book six? Yes, there is a pre-order for book six, but it's finished. Okay, so you finish the next book before you publish the previous book,
1: right? And when I finished book five, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to link it all together. So, like while it was being at the copy editor and all that stuff, my thoughts were, and then I realized, oh, I can put this in here and it'll give me the little hook, you know. And I went back and added it in the proofreading stage, I think. So, yeah. And for me, I don't ever do. I made the mistake. This is another mistake. I made the mistake of opening this whole. Uh, thread in my, in another series. And it, I ended up having to write a whole nother book to finish it (laughs) off because it was such a big thing. So I've learned, I keep it small and that way, you know, it can be, it can be, it's, I don't have to know the whole plot to to write the little hook to make people, to move people forward.
0: Mm. I am I've traumatized myself so much with like the, you know, the, the arc type series that I, uh, my next, series well actually funnily enough I'm writing a standalone next but then mm-hmm. I'm gonna write an episodic series because I just I can't I don't want to make all of the mistakes that I made last time <laughs> I'm so it's nice to
1: be able to switch back and forth though isn't it it's like oh well, yeah it's like using a different muscle or something
0: yeah exactly and also well and I kind of want the episodic one because it means that I can dip in and out whilst I then mm-hmm. also do mm-hmm. other stuff mm-hmm. um so that's an, like a, and that then. Then that becomes your um, what's the word like your main? I can't like think your funnel
1: to yeah, get people well, in,
0: like your main series, I suppose the one that's oh, like self. your what? signature series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's yeah, that's kind of what I mean. And then I can like hop here, there, and everywhere because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I annoy myself like that because I can't <laughs> just stick to one thing anyway. <laughs> oh. Right, what happens? When you decide that you want to either extend or finish a series earlier or later than you planned, you alluded to this earlier, what should writers take into account and or like avoid or make sure they definitely do like when making that decision? Okay, well, um, if you want
1: to extend your series, then if it's a robust character arc series, you may need to create a new arc because that's what I had to do. I'd finished that I answered all the questions, and so if I wanted to extend that series and not make readers think, oh, we've already been there, and redo the same thing, I gave the character like a whole new direction, a whole new journey. She started a new job, and it was related to art theft, and so she was good at finding people. She had found this. Her husband had disappeared, and she had to go find him, and so they reconcile, and she solves the questions about what happened to him, and then she goes to work in art recovery because she's good at finding things and searching out answers. So that gave her a, a whole new arc of, um, you know, her first case, the first book, and that was her first case. And then uh, learning to work in this new field. And then could she work on her own? She'd had a mentor before. Could she solve her first case on her own? So it kind of, you know, builds. So it was more of a entrepreneurial business career. So you may need to come up with, um, some new arc. Maybe your character gets married or gets divorced or moves or, you know, you just may need to come up with something new. Um, And if you decide you want to wrap it up, um, that's where knowing how many subplots you have and how many threads you have can come in handy because you may need to, um, you know, wrap all that up in one book. And if you haven't opened too many, it's easier. Um, It's challenging. Lately, I've been working with like this, like three books plus three books through three books. Kind of my mind frame is like, I'll plan three books and I'll write those three and see how they do. And if they do well, then I can start a new kind of arc or new direction. And then that way, if I would need to wrap it up, I can. And it's not as painful as if I've, you know, really need to write six books and I can only write one more, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah. So do, um, do you write quickly? Not really. <laughs> Yeah this I bring is my out
1: maybe I do maybe like 3 books a year is plenty for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I still think that's quite quick. I mean I know there are people doing well, ridiculous I mean, you numbers know, but compared yeah compared to other people I'm yeah. like I'm like middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good number. I think that's a great number. Yeah. Um what are your favorite marketing methods for selling your series? Uh
1: well I like I like having the first one on permafree or being able to, d- to discount book one because I, I don't know if it's like this in other series as much as it is in mystery, but mystery readers love starting with book one. And maybe if you're writing the multi protagonist, it doesn't matter as much where, where readers start, but invariably my readers want to start with book one. So I like being able to put it on permafree or if I don't have it on permafree, just discount. It. And then you can get a whole bunch of people in and then hopefully bring them through your series. And um, I also like bundling because you can take, you know, like if you have a long series, you can take books one to three, put them together in a bundle, put that on sale, hopefully get more people in. And, um, you know, just it, it makes it easier in many ways to do promotion because you're really concentrating on the beginning of your series. And if you have several different series, then you can just concentrate on um, the first books in each series instead of trying to run you know, ads on every single book, but standalones do have some benefits because sometimes people, like if you get a really long series, people are often reluctant to start on book 10, even though that's your new book. And I, I don't know about you, but I've gone to the bookstore and I'll see like, you know, huge long series. And I think, I just don't know if I can do that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I can make that commitment, but if you have a standalone, you know, maybe you can get people into your world through a standalone.
0: At what point do you make it perma-free? Like how many books in the series do you have out before you then perma-free the first one?
1: Um, I've usually waited until I had at least three or four,
0: four ideally, because
1: then you've got the free one and then, you know, you can get a couple more sales afterwards, you hope.
0: So yeah, yeah, that's what I usually do. Amazing. How can you create a new series in the same world as your last series? So I guess it's like the the universe building or the world building. Like I know this is something I have. I don't know if you heard that. I think my cat has just destroyed something in the back of the house. <laughs> Um, so like, I love the world that I created, but there is going to be a very definite ending to the end of my series. So yeah, I don't know, like how, how can you do that? What, what should you take into account?
1: Well, um, you could like, if your story definitely ends, but if you have a character that your readers are interested in, maybe a minor character, you could do a spinoff character series and, you know, say, here's this story that, you know, this person is going to go on and have more adventures and, you know, you can bring them in through a character. Um, You can, if there's a way you could use the same setting, but in a different way. Um, That's what I did with my historical series. I had a contemporary cozy series set in a little English village. And one day I just thought, wow, because I was thinking about writing historical and I thought, hmm, I wonder what another was more would be like in 1920s nineteen twenty three. And then I was like, oh, I could you, you know, like why recreate a whole new village when I have a village, you know? So maybe you can change the time, or if that doesn't work, then maybe you can like explore some other aspect of that location. And I mean I think that like if you write sci-fi and fantasy, you have so many options with that because there's so many variables. You know, you can go forward backward in time and you can explore this other new area that you hadn 't seen before in the first series um, so yeah that's i think that 's a couple of ways you could kind of relaunch but keep the same universe
0: yeah, I love that i 'm very like location orientated I love doing I have loads of mood boards and stuff to help mm-hmm. me create um like the different because my my world is subdivided by very different geographical regions with different weather and stuff and so i Mm -hmm. love like uh, yeah i love the concept of like delving into one of those a bit more and yeah Mm, okay you've given me some more ideas to think about well good that is good um this is the rebel author podcast so tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel okay well i had to think about this because
1: (laughs) I am, I don't I think you're familiar with Becca Syme and her courses and stuff. So I'm super high compliant. So that means I'm always trying to do the right thing. And I, I'm not much of a rebel, but I did remember, this is probably like the first time that I made a decision to not be compliant. Um, I was in, I think middle school and I was, had this coach come up to me and say, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, you're great. You're doing great, but you're too quiet and you need to be more assertive. You need to be more aggressive. You'll do much better in life. If you're aggressive and you know, I'm like 14 going and it just, you know, devastates me. And because I'm an introvert and I have to think about things, I didn't know what to say. I was just like, "Ah." so, but it took me a couple of days and I worked through everything and I decided no, I'm not going to be an extrovert because that's not me, and that would be not not me. I'd be putting on a show. So it was my own little internal rebellion. I love that. (laughs) Be myself.
0: Yeah. No, hell, hell yeah. I love that. I love that. It it was also like an empowering moment and also Mm -hmm. the bravery that that would have taken as a 14 year old as well. Like I know lots of teenagers are, you know, it's, it's horrible and scary and you're, you're afraid of everyone judging you. And yeah, like, oh my God, I think that's an amazing rebellion. I love it.
1: So it was like very, uh, introvert rebellion inside. I'm going,
0: no. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Fuck you coach. (laughs) Um, also I absolutely love Becca Simon I have been binge listening to the quick cast this week and I just yes. signed up for the strengths for writers as well for October oh, yeah yeah love it yeah well so I already have my 34 as well I did <laughs> yeah I know I did those before, like I did those a while ago um and I like paid for the report and then I was like oh no I basically sound like a narcissistic like ruthless asshole so like and then I just so of died funny, in a cause... shame corner
1: <laughs> Everyone looks at their own stuff and goes, Oh, that's not what I want. Because like one of mine is discipline. And if you read the description, it just sounds so boring. And so you know, it's like, you may have to explain to people why you're this way. And I'm like, Oh, great, thanks. But <laughs> but she told us, she said that's one of the discipline, that's one of the strengths that people are the most jealous of. And I was like, yeah. I'm kidding. So like whatever you have, you're like, eh, yeah. I want that. <laughs> not discipline. <laughs>
0: i am jealous it's so funny <laughs> oh god right tell listeners where they can find out more out more i will just go to start again tell listeners where they can find out more about you your books both the cozies and the nonfiction, and also your podcast
1: Okay. So all my books, I'm at sarahrosette.com and they're everywhere. They're wide. So you can find them on any retailer. And then, um, the podcast is called wish I'd known then for writers. And it's, we just talk about lessons learned. We interview people and just ask, you know, what they've done, right. What they've done wrong and what they've learned. So that's on, you know, just search for it on your podcast app.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, and I like, I'm buzzing with loads of ideas again. So I love talking to people. <laughs> That's cool. um, thank you also to everybody listening and thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Sarah Rosette and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I am talking to Jo Watson. Jo is hilarious. She's sweary. Uh, She was super fun uh, to talk to. And I also got to listen to her speak at Janet Murray's conference. And we are going to be talking about how to write authentic sales copy. So you can join us next week for that. Ouch, my cat is biting my bloody hand. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review i